This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down biblical topics, make scripture easy to understand, and to glorify God in His Word. We pray this content challenges, edifies, and blesses you. So, without further ado, let's check out What's At The Table. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Morning. Well, good morning to our audience. When that, whatever time of day it is that you find this episode, um, this is Trey with At the Table Podcast. As always, with my two awesome and intelligent co-hosts, mm. Creek, John. Okay, so we've went from not being able to squeeze anything out without Daniel throwing up on that first time. <laughs> The past couple of times have been really smooth, and now he's just lying. <laughs> yeah. This, I, I've never I met a tell. person who's so hard to compliment. I'm I just mean, playing. It's just, it, yeah, I could I, I could sing his praises from the rooftop, and he'd be like, you were off key. Actually, I've, <laughs> I would really like to find out, if you don't mind, just trying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd wealth up in a man. God, why'd you say welleth? I went King James. You haven't read from the King James in 20 years, and you said it welleth up in a man. 20 years? God, how old are you? Are you making the audience think that I am? How old does the audience think you are? Yeah, no doubt. Leave it in the... Hey, I am the eldest here. How old is That's why I sit in the place of honor. The elder will serve the younger. Those who humble <laughs> yeah, themselves will be exalted. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's uh, the pride <laughs> is welling up. In <laughs> <laughs> well, um, ah, it's going good, dude. The last couple of days have been a nice break from the hundred and twenty thousand five hundred and sixty three degree weather we've had. Amen. I took wow. Creek yesterday. We we crossed the brook of Kidron into a, a, a well that runneth over. <laughs> Dude. You even checked your fish trap. Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> it was. I'm still. I'm still shocked by it, dude. It was Keep actually just beautiful. no. I, t- I took him to this place. It's it's this runoff from a lake, and there's this little grove of trees. And right on the on the outside of this grove of trees, there's this pit a grove. You say, tell dude, me more. I thought it was like healing waters dude, or something, if bro. You, if you saw this, bro, it, it is it is on the outside of this grove of trees. There's a stream that runs through like a brook. Uh huh. But it comes out of a lake, and it goes down this rock cascade of waterfalls into this pit that's like 30 by 30, and it gets about five foot deep in the middle of it, and it's just blue water. It, it looks like a Bethesda. Like legit, you can just yeah. crawl up in there, and the angels was, are stirring it. Was there, For real. Was there any Asherim or Asteropole? I already man? tore them down. Damn, my man Jerubbabel. No, it, it's, it's a Yo. beautiful spot consecrated to the Lord. We were driving in that same area, actually, and I look over to this hill, and there's three crosses on the hill. Three wooden crosses. I'm like, man, that's beautiful, bro. This is awesome. Somebody, Because somebody else just got the property, I think. Yeah. So I was like, man, they put up crosses, and they're power lines. Yeah, he's He's like, like, oh, those are power lines. Somebody put up three crosses over there. That's so cool. No, they were power lines. I was like, yeah, those are power lines. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see the the three wires coming out the top of them. That's a drag. (laughs) But they were silhouetted like on the horizon where it was just like one, two, three, and the one in the middle was kind of sticking up, and I was like, "Ah, those are power lines. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only disappointing part about that story. 
Yeah, but we went. It was crazy. We fished a little bit in the Brook of Kedron and didn't come away with any any bounty. But we went and checked my trap, and my trap had fish in it. There you go. There you go. The Lord blessed. I picked up a smooth stone just in case we saw a giant, but we didn't. Yeah, nothing. Bro, y'all are the giants. (laughs) No. It had to have some neph on neph crime out there. We were average height. Creaking tray are abnormally tall. What are you, Creek? Like 6'4", 6'5"? Yeah, on a good day, 6'4", 6'3". What, what are you? You're definitely like... 6'2", 6'3"? No, no. You're inflating my numbers. Try to make me an F2. You're like 6'4". I'm 6'1", maybe 6'2", on a good day. With pumps. If I was an average-heighted person, With you would be a big pumps. boy. Like, for real, you'd be a big boy. What was. do you mean, if you're an No matter what size person you are, he's a big boy. Well, but, like, like a, I can't appreciate it because I'm high-level, but... <laughs> I'm a double-XL. <laughs> hey, it just reminds me of that movie, The Blind Side, when he said... She's like, I thought you said this store was big and tall. He said, it is. You need bigger and taller. <laughs> 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 well, now that uh, the audience is intimately familiar with um, our stature and yeah and size, um, Man, great stature. Man, John, what's at the table today? What are we going over? We are yet again in our Snake Crusher series. I wish we had a a sound effect that was like dun dun dun. I'll just have to do it. We could ice out that now. Yeah, we will we'll just, actually. We'll just clip that. I saw yeah, that. Actually. Do you want to do it again, make it better maybe? Dun, dun, dun. That was louder, but it wasn't better. Well, dang, man. We'll Everybody's a critic. Yeah, so today we're in our Snake Crusher series. The last episode that we put out would have been, well, our interview with Dylan. Fitzroy Fala, our brother from another mother in Jamaica. Or Bahamas. Jamaica. Jamaica, yeah. No, Mike's guy's in the Bahamas. That's yeah, what I'm thinking yeah, about. Yeah. Mike's guy's in the Bahamas. He always confuses um, that. And then um, the the one before that would have been the Psalms, where we went had Dr. Gates on. Shout out to you, Brother Gates. Um, come on and go through the Psalter with us. And as it kind of relates to David's life, but also Messianic uh, material, Messianic prophecy, which is what the Snake Crusher series is all about. So if you're tuning in for the first time, we're coming through the Bible with a very, very Pacific lens. <laughs> specific lens. We're um, we're reading the the scripture almost like you would uh, like a novel, like a story. In our case, maybe even like a storybook. I don't know, depending on I guess the skill level. <laughs> and we're yeah, right. fle- <laughs> and we're fleshing out um, the messianic profile which is a way to say everything that God gives us in Scripture that's going to become an expectation of what we would want Messiah to be or or what God is telling us Messiah will be, is a better way to say that. And so today, um, we, after we kind of talked about David's life in the Psalter, we'll be officially concluding the life of David. Um, today we'll cover his death and then the reign of his son, who God promises that he will put his his spirit on, and that he will he will never lack a descendant to the throne. Yeah, yeah. The the, the sad part is, is as good as David has been, and as much as he has occupied like the minds of of the readers in this position that is like you know the, the king that's needed, he has to go the way of men. 
Yeah. And that's to the grave. Right. Right. And, you know, David has put this portrait of what a king is supposed to look like. Um, he's he's really paved the way for, like, what what a good king is going to be, even though he had his mess-ups, you know. I think we can all say he yeah. turned out to be good. Best one so far. Yeah, that's right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One like thing that. that we can say about him is, is no matter what mistake he made, his loyalty was always to Yahweh. Right. Right. So we're going to continue in the King's narrative. And just a, a quick note, we'll, we'll contrast and compare with a little bit of Chronicles today. But just as a reminder, part of the reason that we're choosing Kings is because Kings and Chronicles don't, they don't paint a contradictory narrative to one another. They, they focus on certain aspects of the character in a different way. And the king's narrative isn't as concerned about, um, how would you say that? <laughs> being favorable to David. Sure. Being favorable yes. to David's line. It picks out more of the flaws in his life and gives more detail on that than the Chronicles narrative does. Right. And so that's why we're going we're gonna to stick with that. You know, just to point out too, the scripture you know, the holy book of Christianity and Judaism is unique in that way. Every other holy book, you know, quote-unquote, for, for, you know, other perspective religions always tries to paint the kings and the people in a favorable light despite right, yeah. what they may do. And if something goes wrong, it's always, well, you know, your God beat our God. That's why we lost this battle. And and the yeah. Bible is unique in that way that that fault is never laid at God. Yeah. yeah. If you yeah. lost a battle, it's because you jacked something up. That's right. You know, right. he wasn't feeling you. And that's you know that's kind of a kind of a rabbit trail, but I, I just to add to it, that's the one thing about Christianity contrasted to the pagan religions that that is separating is in in the Greeks' um, belief system, their mythology, they are the ones that the gods made from dirt, and that's what gives them the right, um, the divine right to conquest, dominate, and enslave all other people, and that's ubiquitous throughout the ancient world yeah. you know all of the all of the other mythologies are saying the same thing whereas in judaism god doesn't paint that about the jews you know god does miraculously make israel as a nation unique right. but all of humankind are the ones right. that god has made from the dirt and he loves all of them yeah so and he chooses them despite being yeah flawed, flawed. so yahweh's awesome just in case y'all forgot right. <laughs> So 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. So he's... He has bad circulation. He's dying. He may have had apnica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. He didn't say he was snoring. <laughs> Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king. And let her wait on the king and be in her service. Let her lie in, in your arms that my lord the king may be warm. So this kind of, you know, just to put the cherry on top of the cake, so to speak, in David's life. <clears throat> David, uh, at least as, well, I won't go there. They, they desire to have a young maiden to lie in his arms to see if they can wake him up. Yes. Make him come alive. Right, right. <clears throat> Let's just leave it there. So they sought for a beautiful woman, young woman, throughout all of the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, 
and brought her to the king. And the Shunammites are often regarded, the women in the Bible, they're Shunammites as, as being very beautiful in complexion. The young woman was very beautiful. There you go. And she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. So, wow, that's kind of... This is not... Yeah, that's not normal behavior from David. Yeah, like. yeah. <clears throat> it's, it specifically says that he did not cohabit with her. He did not know her. Yep. Yeah. He didn't... Yeah. Yeah. King James. <clears throat> Which is... That's good. You've you've got plenty of wives already. You need any more. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Now, Adonijah is a son of David, um, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done this so? So David's not saying anything. He was also a very handsome man and was born next after Absalom. He conferred, that's kind of a weird way to put that, isn't it? He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar the priest there's that guy again and they followed Adonijah and helped him but Zadok the priest and Beniah the son of Jehodian and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah 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 sacrificed sheep oxen and fatted cattle by the serpent stone which is beside in Rogel and he invited all his brothers the king's sons all the royal officials of Judah but did not invite Nathan the prophet or Beniah or the mighty men or Solomon, his brother. So just to pause, this dude basically, you know, kind of to paraphrase, he's like, I'm going to make myself king. Yeah, so, definitely. He's throwing a party. He's making the sacrifices. He's got, he's picked people, right? Um, a priest, number one. What do you need a priest for? Well, right. To anoint right. you. Yeah. You know, that's, that's part <clears throat> of the process. And, and he makes sure not to invite the people that would stand in the way of that. Well, not not just that, but he makes sure specifically not to invite the prophet. He, the priest he invites is the one from Eli's line. And then he excludes who is the next chosen ruler already, whom David has promised Bathsheba, your son's going to rule in my place. And come on, he's, I'm just saying he sacrifices by the serpent stone. Yeah. yeah come that, on, bro. <laughs> Man. It seems weird. There's something yeah. there, like, for real. And as, as you know, a prophet's role is, he hears from the Lord, I'm assuming, because Nathan shows up out of nowhere and comes to Bathsheba and says, have you not heard what's going on? Yeah. Have you, not, have you not heard what's going on down there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and he gives good advice, as you would expect any prophet to. He says, hey, um, let me give you some advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Because he knows um, your son is the chosen line. None of David's mighty men are rocking with this dude. He's going to kill your son. If he's king, you and your son, you're as good as dead, right? Um so he says, go in at once to King David and say to him, did you not, my Lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me and will sit on my throne. So there you have it. The, the narrative is telling us already that Nathan's telling her, like, Yo, you need to tell David this, you know. Um, yeah. you, he, he swore to you that this was going to be the case. And evidently, it, with the prophet here, I'm, I'm kind of taking this as God's cosign. 
right? Oh, God's yeah. God's like, yeah. I mean, you're, how, how else did Nathan hear about it? Yeah. Right. So, you know, go to him. And so did he not say, my Lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, will reign after me, and he will sit on my throne. Why then is Adonijah the king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. And one of the last times that David heard from Nathan, was was, it, it wasn't the Bathsheba rebuke. It was the rebuke about building the temple. Oh. Uh, Nathan said, yeah, go ahead and do all that's within your heart to do. And then he leaves and God tells him, hey, uh, tell him he can't build my temple. No, <laughs> I love him, but no, that's not going to work. And so that that's the last, one of the last um concourses that we uh, or conversations that we read about between David and the king. So Bathsheba goes into the king's chamber. Uh, the king's very old, and Abishag was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage, and the king said, What do you desire? And she said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he will sit on my throne. And I behold, Adonijah is king. Although you, my lord, the king, do not know it, he has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, sheep in abundance, and invited all the sons of the king, Abathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. That guy that David's like, yo, he's not. If you're too bloody for me, you're a jacked up dude. Uh, the the beef specifically that he has with, is that in a time of peace, he shed the blood of war. Well, when he ran a spear through his son. Yeah. It, well, Absalom, but that is at least, you know, Absalom was a rebel and a, and, a, and a traitor. But specifically what what he did was he killed another Abner. captain, yeah. Abner, and another guy, Ash, Ashner, Ashner. There's two of them. Yeah. He killed two people, and it was in a time of peace, and he shed the blood of war, and he made David look really bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they they come in, both of them. And Nathan comes in and confirms the words too, just sort of paraphrasing the rest of the story. And, you know, he's like, yo, they're saying long live King Adonijah and doing all of this other stuff. And and Nathan adds a little bit of detail that Bathsheba does, and he says, but me, your servant, this prophet, you remember me? Zadok, the priest, a really good priest guy. It's not from the line of Eli. Beniah, the son of Jehodiah, your servant Solomon, he's not invited us. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So Nathan's like, are you orchestrating this whole thing and you haven't told anybody? <laughs> he's kind of painting it in a light like, uh, what are you going to do? Do you do you know about this? Because if yeah. you don't know about this... Uh... It, it's, it's spelled out, right? Yeah. If this goes through successful... And you don't do anything. You don't check it. It's we not. Have a problem. It's not just them that are going to die. It's a decent chance other people are going to die in this too. Then King David answered and said, "Call Bathsheba to me." So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. And as the king swore, "As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, saying, Solomon, your son will reign after me. He will sit on my throne in my place. Even so, will I do this day." So she pays homage and says, May my lord, the king David, live forever. And David says, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. And he said, Take with you the servants of, of your lord and have Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. But Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Mm. Typically, 
that it's been one or the other, right? Samuel, as the prophet, has anointed a king previously, but now you have a priest and a prophet both anointing the chosen line that comes from David. Yeah. Pretty cool uh, moment. The, the one that ministers before God in, in like the temple rites, but also the one who speaks for the Lord. It's like mm-hmm. a, a double sign-off by, by God. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, you know, uh, bring in there, anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. He will come up after him. He will come and sit on my throne, for he will be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. So Benaiah answers the king, says, amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so, as the Lord has been with the Lord, my king. May he be also with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord the king david so that's exactly what they do they bring solomon in they blow the trumpet he rides on his mule then he sits on his throne and they're all of the people went up after him and they're playing pipes and rejoicing so that the earth was split by their noise so it's pretty loud yeah that's, part that's of, a heck yeah. of a celebration now can i ask you what's the significance of jehoiada what who, who's this guy he's one of david's mighty men okay so if you know, we read in, in the Old Testament that under the, the witness of two or three, a thing is established, right? I think it's important to note, again, that that's what this is, but it's also like two of the three are like spokespeople for God. Yeah. So if you if you really want a thing established, when God is two out of the three, right, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Well, and I think something interesting, too, is like, you know, again, Joab's not a part of this coalition, whom right. David has said, like, May the Lord bring that blood on your on on your hands for what it. you did. Yeah, so it it's like David's already Joab has fallen out of favor with the king. Yeah, but Benaiah is not only a man of valor, but to an extent of these seems to be a man of integrity. Well, that's the deal too. It's like why is Joab fallen? Because we're not in war anymore. Yeah, David's con- conquested pretty much everybody at this point. I mean, the Philistines are in check. Everybody's in check. He's he's laid everything to waste, and it's like, it's almost like God did with David, where he wanted to build the temple, but God said to him, like, no, like, you know, you 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 had a purpose, and you have a purpose, but that's not your purpose. For Joab, it's like, not only you're you're like you you said you're bloodier than David is, yeah, you know, because you shed the blood of 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 war in the time of peace, but it's like for David to Joab, like, even then you were useful to me because you were. A mighty military leader, but now mm, you you just don't have much use anymore. Man, yeah, no doubt. I do I do want to point something out because I know we've sort of tracked through the um, the ceremony of of coronation. Um, Solomon is not anointed with a flask. In the likeness of his father, he's anointed with a horn. Horn of oil. Yeah, and that that's a really important thing to point out too. It's it's just another, um, another, another piece of icing on the cake, I guess, to to show that this dude is he's the chosen guy. It's he's supposed cosine. to come next. Yeah, it's a cosign. That's a good way to put that. So anyway, Solomon's anointed king <laughs> splits the to, ground with celebration. Yeah, there is a celebration, <laughs> and so Adonijah and his boys are over there, just kind of paraphrasing this chapter up. And you know, this guy comes and he's like, hey. You know, Adonai just says, you're a worthy man. You bring good tidings. What's going on? What's the city in an uproar about? And he's like, well, uh, 
Solomon's the king. <laughs> and they're celebrating that. So you're out. He's in. It says that when he brings this news to all the people that were invited to this little event, that they feared Solomon. Yeah. And they start rolling out. like Oh, yeah. They're dipping out at the back, trying not to be seen, <laughs> you know. And but and what's we get a good picture of Solomon here because they're afraid. But at the end of the chapter in verse fifty-two, you know, he he says, "Well, if he'll show himself as a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the earth." Speaking of his brother, yeah, Adonijah, Adonijah, Adonijah. So he first before that though, Adonijah runs from Solomon, thinking that Solomon's going to kill him, and he might be right. I don't know, but he runs in at to the tent of the Lord and grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. And there's this moment where he thinks that Saul is going to kill him, but Saul spares his life. Solomon. Yeah. Solomon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> little uh, Freudian slip there. <laughs> well, and I'll also, you know, God chooses the one who isn't exalting himself. That's a really good point. That's like, like Hannah's song. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's kind of the same thing with David. Like, this isn't the one that I suppose yeah. people thought it would be. Yeah. It was the one God wanted, though. Right. It said that from the moment he was born that God loved him. And whenever Adonijah grabs a hold of these horns, it says that Solomon rings him down and says, go to your house in peace. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. Show yourself a worthy man and you won't die. Right. In other words, it, if you don't mess he, up, gets the ring of peace. But he, t- <laughs> but he tells him, he says, but if wickedness is found in him, he yeah. will die. Man. So Solomon's like, hey, don't be wicked like this whole thing you were doing was, and you're going to be straight. Yeah. Which is you a do, very righteous You pull some nonsense chair. like that, you're getting yanked. It's just the way it's going to be, right? But I think something is important hearkening back to what you guys said and your accidental saw slip. like <laughs> <laughs> The Freudian you know, slip. It points out about Adonijah that he's he's a handsome man, like like Absalom. It was born after Absalom, which was like, this is the people's choice, right? Yeah. Uh, he blows the trumpet, does the same whole conspiracy thing that Absalom did, and Absalom chased David out of the throne. He chased God's anointed out of the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. And that's what Adonijah's trying to do. And we're, and we're going to hear that in the next chapter from his own mouth, yeah. that, that all people expected him to be king. Yeah, yeah. So... Second or First Kings chapter two says, "When David's time to die drew near, this is kind of a sad moment. Yeah. David passing away. He commanded Solomon his son, saying, "I'm about to go the way of all the earth, just like Trey said. Be strong, show yourself as a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses." that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Mm-hmm. So a pause here. This is another snake crusher thing that we, we've, in a way we've already covered this, but shout out. To, to my wife and making this outline. She brought this up. It was a really good point. The, one of the expectations that's now been forecasting is, you know what the snake crusher is going to do? He's going to keep the law of Moses. Yeah. yeah. 
He's, he's going to walk in, in, in the way of God. He's going to pay close attention. He's going to keep all of his statutes, all of his ways, all of his commandments, all of his rules, all of his testimonies. He's going to do a right. So anyway, the Lord may establish his word concerning me, saying, your sons will never lack a descendant. You won't if they do what they're supposed to. So verse 5 says, He's David's giving like a charge to Solomon. He's giving him some fatherly advice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> some, here's some real wisdom <laughs> literature. You may be book smart, but David's going to educate him on the streets real quick. Exactly. Well, and we remember, um, well, I'll cover that in a sec. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jather, whom he killed avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war. Oh, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. So David's like, hey, uh, you know what that guy did. You know what he's guilty of. Kill him. Yeah, I spared him for a time. I, uh, you know, that was all cool, but uh, yeah, get get rid of him. Yeah, he said, "Don't don't let his gray hair go down to the land of the dead in peace." It almost is like the start of that wisdom literature where it says, "There's a time and a season for everything under the sun." Yeah. And Joab, your season's your done. Your season's done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a poet uh, and didn't know it. So he tells him to kill a dude, right? But then he says, "But deal loyally with these." With these guys, Barzillai, the Gileadite, let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty, they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. There was also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day that I went to Mahanim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword, but don't find him guiltless. For you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him. It's almost like he says, do what your hand finds to do. Yeah. The funny thing is, is he, he's very careful to keep all of his promises. Right, but he but says, but, but you can kill him. I said, I wouldn't put him to the sword. <laughs> but my son <laughs> Solomon, I mean. Yeah, baby. It's like the gotcha. But, yeah, I mean, in an honest and wise way. Right. So verse 10 says that David slept with his fathers. He was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. After we see the number 40, what usually comes? Yeah, no doubt. Some kind of test. 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Kind of cool numbers that those have been split into. 33? Maybe he was the first. Never mind. <laughs> So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom is firmly established. So he's reigning solid, right? And then Adonijah pops into the story again, and it comes to Solomon's mom. She's like, hey, uh, do you come in peace? And he says, oh, yeah, peacefully, liar. Yeah, he, well, he says to her, like, listen, you know as well as I do, everyone expected me to be king, but God gave the kingdom to Solomon. Yeah. But... Do me this one favor. Yeah. Give give to me this this concubine that, that David had in his yeah. old age. <clears throat> this yeah. is clearly one a, who the scripture is clear to mention David never slept with. Right. Right. 
And so it's almost like that, The you know, yeah. whoever takes this concubine is going to have some sort of a clout. And yeah. it's what we're seeing is another political move. Right. Yeah. And that's the opposite of what Solomon told him to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, this yeah. is clearly usurping. This is the wicked authority. thing that I told you not to do. Yes. But you couldn't keep your little snake head down. And she listens. She comes to the king and says, hey, I've got a small request for you. Don't deny me. And She's he, ignorant, right? And he says, okay, I'll make your request, mother, for I will not refuse you. And she says, why don't you give that uh, Abishag lady to your brother for a wife? And his response is like, why don't you just ask for the kingdom too? <laughs> <You know? laughs> She's so naive in the way that she asks this question. He's like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. And for, for he is my older brother, and on his side is... Abathar, the priest, and Joab. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, pause. First coronation ceremony process. Yeah. Check. Been anointed by not only a priest, but also a prophet. And said specifically by God in previous chapters, hey, right. this is my dude. So there's there's three signs of confirmation from with God. Horn. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was the second step? It's a showcase of strength. To show that, you know, you're worthy to lead the armies of God. So we're about to see what he's going to do. So he says, uh, God do so to me and more if this word doesn't cost Adonijah his life. Golly. So he so told him. him. He yeah. said that if you, do, if you do wickedly, you're going to die. And then he turns to Abiathar. Um, but he says, go to Anathoth to your estate for you deserve to die. But I will not at this time put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David, my father, because you shared all of my father's This affliction. is a David moment. Yeah. On behalf of God, he's willing to honor the one that God honored. Like, you served God faithfully in this time, and because of that, I'll spare your life. That is such a David thing, right? Right. When David spared Saul, why did he spare him? Because you're the one that God anointed. Right. Well, and, you know, he doesn't showcase himself like Saul, who... Would just slaughter any priest that he wants to. Yeah, he, well, that's what I'm saying. He shows respect for who God appoints. But what it does do, this office of kingship, is behave righteously. And he says, it, the Scripture says in verse 27, that Solomon expelled him from bringing priests to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. So he's carrying out yeah. the judgment of God. This is a, a very good moment for the kingship, but... Anyway, so news comes to Joab that all this stuff had happened, and uh, he flees to the tent of the Lord, the same thing that Adonijah did. He's thinking, well, Adonijah, he got mercy when he did this, right? Yeah. Well, too bad he didn't know that David had already put a little bug in the ear of Solomon. You would have been better off running to Anatolia. (laughs) You should have ran to Gath. You should have ran somewhere where you could find some some allies because you have none here. So this chapter kind of comes to a conclusion of Solomon carrying out justice. He kills Joab. He kills Adonijah. Where does he kill Joab? Yeah, he kills him. On the altar. On the altar. Runs him through on the altar. Yeah. Pretty intense. Where you thought you would be safe in the presence of God on God's altar. I'll kill you there because God wants you dead. And he gives Joab's office to a more worthy man. Benaiah becomes commander of the army. And then, finally, 
old Shimei, that guy that was cursing David, uh, the last dude that David said, uh, "Yo, don't don't let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace." <laughs> he, he kind of seemingly lays a trap for him. Yeah, um, he says, "Hey." Bill, you can stay in a house here in Jerusalem, but the day that you cross over that brook, you're a dead man. And so Shimei says, like, okay, fine, cool. And then he tries to cross over the brook. He has two servants that run away, and yeah. he goes to get those two servants, not remembering, I guess, or I choosing guess. not to believe. Yeah. But the truth is this. This has to do with, like, Levitical law, too. There are sanctuary cities that God set up, right, that says, like, hey, if you're in the boundaries of one of these places— you're, you're safe. Yeah. Even if you've murdered a, a man and his brother seeks revenge, if you're in a sanctuary city, you're safe. But Solomon kind of sets this place up as that sanctuary city where he says, as long as you're here, no harm will come to you. Yeah. But you step one foot over that line, you're done. This is Creek with At The Table podcast. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating, review, and share our podcast with a friend. If you'd like to contact us, email us at atthetablepodcastmail at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Now, let's get back into the show. Yeah, so the old, uh, the last Benjamite that's played a rough role in the life of David has been expelled. Mm. He's done skis. Yep. Yeah. So picking up in chapter three, it says that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Womp, womp, womp. Man. You got to be on that soundboard, dog. Not, not good. No, it's like a return to almost like an exile so why are you going back there? Especially yeah. since he doesn't even need this alliance. Like, this is just something that... Dude, your right. dad was making everybody lick the boot. Right. <laughs> Legit. Like, or rather, like, God was making everybody lick your dad's boot. Uh, so, uh, everything's looked good thus far. Yeah. And yeah. this is, like, weird. I'm this not even going to say it's that bad yet, but it's just weird. I'm going to go ahead and say it's bad. Sure. Okay. I'm going to say it's unwise. Right, right. But I'm with I'm with what you're saying, though. He's like, we won't count it as, like, a disqualified. But, yeah, that's this isn't good at the very yeah. least. Yeah. So he takes Pharaoh's daughter and brings her into the city of David until he finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at high places. However, because no house had been built yet for the name of the Lord. So not amazing. So is Solomon mm, in Bethlehem? Uh, no. It's this is the city of David. He's in well, that's where he took her, but he's in Jerusalem. So she's Jerusalem. in Bethlehem. She's in Bethlehem. That's yeah. kind of the opposite of a certain other person that we'll get to eventually. It's like instead of going from Bethlehem to Egypt, she's going from Egypt to Bethlehem. That is an interesting point. Yeah. Huh. Good stuff. Anyway, um, so it's not looking super awesome so far. People are sacrificing on high places. Generally, we'll find later on not a good place not to good. be doing stuff. Bad but things happen there. But in their defense, they, have, for the they don't have a temple in their defense. But they do have the tabernacle, and that's what makes <laughs> me think, like, this is kind of, this isn't good. But it's almost like the king's writer either maybe sees it a different way or right. gives him a pass. He's like, man, there's sure. no house for the Lord yet. A lot of people seem to be doing it. 
Um, but specifically when Saul does, or Solomon does it, gosh, that Freudian sleep keep, slip keeps happening. But when Solomon does it, it specifically says he sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah. Like, and even that when he's doing so, that he offered up many burnt offerings and that God honored him for it. Yeah, yeah. That's true. It says he loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So, so the way that the text throws that distinction is like it doesn't like it. Right. Like it's you know? not. It should be in the tabernacle, but at least you're sacrificing to the Lord. So the king goes to Gibeon, and he makes a sacrifice there. Gibeon's kind of a nice place. But that was the great high place. Maybe not so nice of a place. <laughs> Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. That's a lot of burnt offerings. Of course, you're the king, so you've probably got a lot to burn. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. Hold on here. This is important. Yeah. God doesn't just appear to anybody. Yeah. You know, uh, what was one of the last times that God appeared? Was it Gideon, maybe? Joshua. Gideon. Uh, Gideon was after no, Joshua. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. going to the list. Chronologically. Um, yeah. He didn't appear Gideon to David. He no. didn't appear to Saul. He didn't appear to Samuel nope. either. Well, and this is a callback to Joseph. Yeah. That's true, too. This, this happens. This is... Oh, the dream? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Good point. The dreamer. Yeah. The so, chosen son, right? Right. The, the miracle child. <laughs> <laughs> so he come, God comes to Solomon in a dream by night, and God says, ask what, shall I, what I shall give you. Just ask me for something. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and uprightness of heart towards you. You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. There's some of that humility you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted. It's Abrahamish. Right, yeah. right. Mm. It's almost like a fulfillment of that callback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Give me wisdom to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. This is one of those blessings that, you know, it is a great blessing, something that I would love to have this level of wisdom, but it also comes with, you know, now you don't have as much of an excuse. Man. You know, you know what is wicked. You have the wisdom that God has given you. Yeah, I I think that for now, it, though it paints him in the light, like this is the king that you should want. Right. Yes. Because... When he could be, when he's asked by God, like you could have anything. Riches, what does he choose? Women. He said, "I want the knowledge, the wisdom, so that I can guide your people." But I think, in a way, hear me out. This harkens back to the first king, if you will, Adam. And if there's anything that that story shows us, there is only one character throughout the course of all of Scripture that's going to discern good from evil and be able to rule well. And that's God. Yes. And every other time that, you know, man or woman have, you know, what was the purpose of eating the, the tree? 
Well, it was the knowledge of good and evil. So this almost, in my mind, hyperlinks me back to that moment. And although this is a positive thing, and it pleases the Lord oh, that he man. asked for this, yeah. you know, it it brings you back, you know, again to that Genesis moment. So if you're, as we're going in our in our series, you have a son that's from David, that's from Judah, that's promised a throne, that God says he will love him like his own son. Now he says a few other things too. But just to highlight the good stuff, now he's asking for wisdom to govern the people, knowledge of good and evil in the people that he's governing. God promised Abraham they would be too great to be numbered. Yeah. And now they are too great to be numbered. So at this point in the text, minus the Pharaoh's daughter and a few other things, you're thinking like, this dude is awesome. Yeah. There's not been a better candidate until now. God says, like, I'm pleased with this one, right? right? And it's almost like the thing that he asked for, in asking for it, he proves that he already has it. Yeah. Because God says, for I have given you a wise heart to discern. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, yeah, you you proved it. You proved you proved to everyone you have the thing, already have the thing that you're asking for. And yeah. because of that, I'll give you all of the things that you didn't ask for. So long as, what is it? So long as you walk in my ways. Yeah. And so long as you keep my commandments. Then I will lengthen your days if you do that. So Solomon wakes up and realizes it was a dream. And he comes to Jerusalem and stands before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offers burnt offerings and peace offerings. Whoa. That is a big deal. Right. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen. I mean, he's not a priest. How is he standing before the Ark of the Covenant? And I know there's no temple where there's a Holy of Holies yet. But once they're, he's in the process of building that temple, and once that process is, is is done, if you're not the high priest and you don't and you step into that place, he'll kill you. God yeah, will kill you. Good. But here, this king is able to stand. This wise king is able to stand in the presence of God and offer sacrifice. This is a picture that's that like and it one offs it right here. But it's almost like once again another piece of the puzzle that we've already talked about: the need for a priest king. Yeah. It's being highlighted, and it's made it to look like, oh, this son of David, man, is he the one? Yeah. Is he the priest king? Can he, can he do it? Man. Well, and then his wisdom is tested in this weird story about two prostitutes come before the king, and they one of them's like, uh, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to my to a child while she was in the house on the third day after I gave birth she gave birth and we were alone no one else was with us in the house only we two were there and this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him and she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid my laid her dead son at mine when I arose to nurse my child behold he was dead but when I looked at him closely in the morning, he was not the child I had born. So there's this circumstance, paraphrasing the rest, where she says, hey, give me justice, right? And Solomon <clears throat> says, um, all right, cut him in half. One half for you and one half for her. The lady that is not legitimately the child's mother is like, okay. And the one that is his mother says, no, no, give the whole child to her. Don't do that. And Solomon's like, that's the mom. Give her the kid. 
So he showcases like first you're like, whoa, dude, no. But <laughs> he, he clearly knows what's going on. Right. And his wisdom is tested. He comes out on the other side. And not belaboring a lot of the stuff in chapter four, because it really just gives us a lot of the names of the officials and some of which we've already read through. There's a portion that seems kind of snake crushery in verse 20. It says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Man, wow, what a moment. Awesome. Peace and safety. This this looks like the promise fulfilled. Yes. And it and it goes over like all of the tribute that he gets brought, and the dude gets brought a lot of tribute. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's got a lot of people serving him. In the end of chapter 4, there's this one point that at least it seems important to me. Verse 32 says that he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Yeah. It's like kind of this, he's like David, only more. Right. Right? David is this this warrior poet. And Solomon, you know, he lives in a time of peace, but it, like his heart is the, the songwriter. He's, he's the poet. He's the one who's writing. But he also has this wisdom literature. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think something in Chapter 5 that's really interesting to me is um, Hiram, the king of Tyre, so he's a Gentile. He's not yeah. He's not a Hebrew. He sends servants to Solomon when he heard that he was anointed in place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. So something to note about David, and I don't think that it's mentioned Hiram until now, um, the, at least some of the nations, uh, they're not being conquested by David, they're, but they're being loved by him. Yeah. Right? There's there's good relationship between him and and some of the nations, and that continues with Solomon to the point where where he says, like, hey, uh, Hiram, I need to build a house for the Lord because the Lord, you know, promised that I would do that to my father David and that I would sit on his throne. And in verse 7, Hiram, it says, as soon as he heard the words of Solomon, that he rejoiced greatly and said, blessed is the Lord this day. Yeah. Right? So this this Gentile king blesses God. And since to Solomon saying, I've heard your message. I'm ready to, to do everything you desire in the matter of Cyprus and, and cedar and timber. Because Solomon says, like, look, nobody can cut it like y'all can. Y'all are the baddest cutting dudes on the block. That's what my daddy said. So I need some wood, and I'll pay you for it. I'll pay you whatever wages, um, whatever it costs. And there's, like, this moment of, of peace where – you know, and, and it's careful, too, to highlight that Solomon, again, lives in peace on every side. But the nations, metaphorically, are helping him build a house for God. Yeah, There's that, it kind of, in a, in a way, hyperlinks my head back to all of the nations will be blessed through you. Yeah. There's, now that all the rivals that have surrounded Israel have been dealt with, there's peace with some of the nations. And like, hey, I'll help build a temple for God for you. That's the crazy part because it juxtaposes what happens next. Yeah. You have Gentiles and Creek brought this up before the show. And I, and I guess at first I, I didn't realize it, but I mean, I think that you were wise in saying what you did is because it juxtaposes the Gentiles who were, will come from everywhere 
to give whatever they can to help. But from yeah. Israel, Solomon forces 30,000 laborers yeah. into slavery to build the, temp- the temple of God. Yeah. It's like, what? It almost makes them, why? I don't want to say it makes them hate the temple of God, but, but, it, but it's why, a bitter. Why would you force them? They should right. want to do this. Well, and I, you're paying the people from Tyre. Yeah. You know, you're, they're getting paid whatever wages Hiram says. Yeah. You know, I mean, why can't these brothers get paid? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know the, well, I mean, in fact, they should. I mean, the Bible yeah. says that a workman is, is worthy of the wage. And you know, it's just, it's so strange. That why would Solomon do this? Why mm. would he, he entice Gentiles to willingly, you know, build this temple to God, but he doesn't even ask the question to his own people. He yeah. puts them into slavery, and that's the thing that God told the the people that that Saul would do. Mm. It's like if you ask for your king like the other nations, he's going to take your land, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters. He'll demand tribute from you, and it's like, wait a second, this is a one off. Why, why would you do this thing, man? Well, and and I think something that's interesting to note, you know, kind of scooting through chapter six, it gives a lot of detail on on how the temple is constructed uh, one of these days we'll go back and do an iso episode on yeah. the tabernacle and the temple and eden and and how all of these things are interwebbed together but one of the things that the temple contains is two cherubim likened unto what's on the ark yeah and it's made out of olive wood and it's overlaid with gold and there's palm trees and this this temple is it it goes back to what you know Dr. Judd Burton said this, you know, as in heaven, so on earth concept, this mirror that's set up later for us. Um, but the the thing I think is interesting to note, too, in chapter 6 is that it says in verse 37, in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. The eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts according to its specifications. He was seven years in building it. He spends seven years building the temple. And then in chapter 7, he builds himself a palace, and he spends 13 years doing that. <laughs> so he spends a lot of time <laughs> building this stuff. But, he, you know, he makes this uh, hall of pillars, a hall of a throne where he used to pronounce judgment. I mean, an elaborate. Just shy twice yeah. the amount of time on his own house as he does on God's. Yeah, yeah. Whereas David, his father said, how is it that I, you've built for me a house, but but you dwell in a tent? Mm. Let me build for you a house, <laughs> and, and so it's a it's an honorable thing that Solomon does in building God a, a house. But it's like, why is your house t- right. take twice as long? <laughs> yeah. Well, in verse thirteen I, of seven, I, I like too. It's a, you know, King Solomon sins and brings Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali. And his father was a man of Tyre. So I'm not really sure how to parse that. Not he's a worker in bronze. Does that mean of, he's half? I think so. Half Israelite? I think so. I don't know. Interesting. Maybe it's a different Hiram. I I don't know. I don't and think he was, so. I mean, that, but okay, yeah. And he was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making work in bronze. So he comes to King Solomon and does all of his work. He So it, it's just an, another moment, yet again, of... The nations and Israel together building. Kind of and, being blurred, too. Yeah. And he Lines made, are blurred. Yeah, yeah. And he makes this elaborate house um, 
for God. And then, you know, he has a prayer. Chapter 8 lists out his prayer. So he, he gets ready for this big, big feast. And this is verse 12. This is what Solomon says. <clears throat> the Lord said he would dwell in thick darkness. I indeed have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel. And the assembly of Israel stood while they did. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled the promise with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel which to build a house that my name will be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. It's funny that that's the end of the quote. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, but the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well with what was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will be born to you will build the house. Now God has fulfilled that promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David, my father, and sat on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And then he dedicates the temple. In verse 23, starting his prayer, he says, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth beneath, keeping your covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, uh, David, my father, what you have declared with him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant, David, my father, what you promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed. This is the good part. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet regard this prayer of your servant and this plea Oh, Lord, my God, listen to the prayer that your servant prays. And he, he asked God, just kind of paraphrasing the rest of this, because it's a long prayer. Brother knows how to pray, you know. Uh, <laughs> he says, always keep your eyes on this temple. So if anybody prays that you'll listen, if yeah. they've sinned against you and you shut up the heavens for rain and they pray in this house, you know, hear them. If there's pestilence or blight or locusts, if their enemy besieges them in the land and they come to this house, always watch. I love verse 31. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. And he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all of which the foreigner calls you to. Ah! It's amazing, it's amazing, wrapping that chapter up, that one of the things that our our current candidate, which has already pretty well disqualified himself, but uh, of the snake crusher, a guy that's still going to image out what this mosaic is, is he is building a house for God and saying, this house can't contain you. Yeah. No house that man builds can contain you. The highest of heaven can't contain you. And that leads you to think first, well, what kind of house is God going to live in? But he also says, hey, even if a foreigner comes, if the nations come because they hear of your name, welcome them. Yeah. Hear their prayer. 
It says that the glory of the Lord, the cloud, filled the temple mm. to the point that the priests could not even minister their duties. Man. It's like if there was ever an apex moment of Israel, this is it. I mean, yeah. the house is built, the, the ark of God, that in it's careful to mention that the law, the tablets of Moses are placed in the ark and it comes into the temple. God's glory fills it. You have this king who's imaging God in the, in the way that he should. His, his mind is on, on the people of Israel and on and even on the foreigner and the sojourner. His mind is after all of that. And in not just on them, but for their relationship to God, their ability to speak to him. He says, mm. even if you're angry and you've shut the heavens up, and they come to this house and they pray to you, hear them. Yeah, It's like, man. Every, this is the apex. Everything looks good here. In the temple, images a concept, and I'm I'm going to try really hard not to get to New Testament here. That the temple itself will be an intercessor. Yeah, God will later say, you know, I I will not be in a house made by human hands. What will you build for me? My hand has made all of these things. I will build my own house. Yeah. And the house that God will build himself will be not only a, a place of intercession, but also an intercessor. And I, I love that, you know, like you said in chapter 9, God's glory fills it. It's like an apex moment. Chapter 10, Solomon's wisdom is tested by the queen of Sheba. She hears of his fame concerning God's name and comes to test it out, and then she blesses God. So the nations are coming to God you know, through through the works that he has is doing through Solomon actively. In chapter 11, um, where we'll kind of be landing the plane today, ends a sweet story in kind of a, a nasty way. So verse 1 says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's not good. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, a Moabite, an Ammonite, an Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women, the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you will not enter into marriage yeah. with them. So the very first thing it points out is you're not keeping God's law. Well, that's, you're not walking in, in this chapter way. nine, God appears to, to Solomon for the second time. It appears to him and says, Hey, if you're going to do what your father did, I'll bless you your entire life. Your days will be long. I'll keep you, but he says that if you do not, not only will I not establish your throne, but if you or your sons turn away from me and you don't keep my commandments and my statutes, then I will cut off Israel from this land that I have given them, and I will make the house which I have consecrated for my namesake, I will turn it into a heap of ruin, and everyone who passes by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to the land and to his house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God and brought who brought their fathers out of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all of this adversity upon them. So Man. it's right before this test, God comes to him. It's almost like that the, the Cain moment where he says, hey, you know, ends up knocking at the door, but you should have mastery over it. I'll yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. If you walk according to my ways, I'll keep you. But if you do what you're going to do, then... I won't. Well, a heap of ruins is a big difference from what they have right now. They're literally a <laughs> yeah. powerhouse right now. Right. Can you imagine that? Like, 
That's the polar opposite of the apex. Like God like is so ripped pleased. out of the land. He's yeah. so pleased with this this temple God is. And he's like, yeah, his glory fills it. But he tells him right afterwards, like, if you don't keep my law, I'll wreck this whole thing. Yeah. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. And then it goes, it just ties in nicely to what you're talking about because immediately after that, two chapters after that, you know, the nations are coming, everything's looking good, but then it says, it makes a note, it says Solomon's not keeping the commandments of God. He's yeah. marrying women that he was commanded, that all of Israel was commanded. You will not intermarry with these people. Yeah. Yeah, and probably for specific reasons, but, you know, it says that Solomon clung to these in love. Yeah. He had 700 wives who were princesses, 700 and 300 concubines. Why is 700 wives not enough? So you need For to go real. grab 300 concubines. Like, it, I uh, bro, it's hard to put up with one sometimes. Well, I, I'm trying to think of like any need a man could have for a thousand. Yeah. And it's like, dude, there's no way. Doesn't this showcase like the polar opposite in the same way that we you contrasted glorious temple, quite literally, right, with heap of ruins, uninhabited, to amazing leader, this is the worst you can get. Yeah. Like yeah. And it's the same know? sin of his of his father. It's the same sin of Absalom. It's, it's like But it's amplified. It's like times ten. I mean, power. Yeah. It gets worse. So Solomon verse six, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh and ab- the abomination of Moab, and for Molech the abomination of the Moabites, and uh, for Molech. Dude. So he, he builds a, a high place for two gods that require the butchering right. of your own children, and it says that he did this for his wives. So instead of the nations coming to worship Yahweh, this king has built high places in the right next to the city of God. For these other gods. And he didn't just do it for his wives, so he did for all of his foreign wives. Dude. Yeah. That's a lot. That's not very wise. You build one house for God and multiple houses for other gods. Well that's not good. That's the thing, is he, you know, asked for that wisdom and you know, he abused it to the point where he I mean, it doesn't explicitly say, but we would assume what is Going on with Molech, you know, child sacrifice. Yeah, and Chemosh too. Right. But God keeps his word. You know, verse 9 says, God's angry with him because his heart had turned away from the Lord. This brother's disqualified, if we haven't pointed that out already. The God of Israel who appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing, like Trey pointed out. Um that he should not go after God's, but he didn't keep God's command. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, I will tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I won't do it in your days, but I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. I will not tear away all of the kingdom, but I'll give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So God raises up an adversary against Solomon, an Edomite. Ironically, that's one of the gods that you have. And what did we point out with Saul? You want a king like all of the other nations. 
You want gods like all the other nations too, don't you? That's what you're going to get. And and trying to appease the the entities that these people worship, what do you have? Ironically, an adversary for you that comes out from among them. They are not for you. They are against you. They want to plunder you and destroy you. He's linked to Joab. Yeah. And so it's like the enemies that God kept at bay, that he put underneath your feet, he's letting them out. Yeah. He's bringing them out. He's not just letting them out. He is leading them out. Well, and this transgression that's committed by Israel through Joab, somebody is sore about it. And they get the confidence to swell up and do something. So this Hadad guy runs to Egypt, among with other ones. They set out from Midian, go to Paran. Another guy is raised up that will become important. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite. One of the Israelites from Ephraim are going to oppose his throne too. And this chapter just, I don't know, man, it ends bitter. It's not bittersweet, but bitter. Verse 41 says, The rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom. <laughs> oh, man, it would be hard to, to enjoy one past the other. But are they not written in the acts of the book, the book of the Acts of Solomon? In the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And we remember 40 was like a signal flare, right? And after the 40 years of David, we have Solomon. And it seems like good passings of of tests in a way, but it ends horrible, absolutely horrible in his life. And the time that Solomon reigns over Jerusalem is also 40 years. Maybe there's another test coming for his son. It says that Solomon slept with his fathers, and he's buried in the city of David, and Rehoboam, his son, reigns in his place. So you have Rehoboam, who is ruling over one tribe, because... Ten tribes have been given to a servant that Solomon appointed over all the forced labor, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, because the prophet comes to Jeroboam and he takes a new cloak off of himself and he tears it into 12 pieces. And he gives 10 pieces to Jeroboam and says, these are the kingdoms that you are, God is taking from Solomon. He's giving them to you and you're going to rule over them. But one tribe. And so right there you have that Benjamin, you know, or the Judah with the assumption of of the of the the lesser tribe into it into one tribe which is now Judah and you end up with only 11 tribes and 10 of them they belong to someone else now um and it's it's been t- it's not just not Solomon but it's it's not even in the lineage right it's it's taken outside of the lineage of David and it's almost like and it's Israel that gets called Israel, whereas the what Rehoboam rules over is called Judah. And so now the nation that God called, the one that wrestles with God and prevailed, the one that came from Jacob, it's not even, it doesn't even have a Davidic king anymore. Right. Oh. It's been separated out and moved out. And, and this, it doesn't look good. This guy it's broken. From, yeah, that's a good point. It's broken. It's divided. It What was brought to heal and brought into like unity and harmony, all these things under Solomon and within 40 years. It's, it's funny because from looking from the, the, this side of things back and even in, in the time of the new Testament, like the glory of Israel is always talked about, right? In the glory days, 
but they didn't even last 40 years. Yeah. You have 40 years where, you know, you spent 40 years in the wilderness. You only get 40 years where you actually have the kingdom that God promised. Well, this is the fall, right, of, like, Solomon, like, when confronted with the sin, he just keeps going. And, you know, it, it proves God's point, though. Like, if you follow me, things will go well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he went so bad, and it got that bad. <laughs> Man. And something that's interesting to me, just to caveat the end of the story, where's Nathan? Like, where where's Zadok? Where are these guys at? These figures that are mentioned so prominently at the beginning of his life and reign, whatever where's things the wise were counsel? good. Yeah, where's your wise counsel? Um, at what? <laughs> it's not a Star Wars reference, but it's uh, it's Lord of the Rings. When did the king exchange reason for madness? Man, it's kind of true, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, yo, wisdom certainly didn't tell you to get a thousand chicks up in your house, especially Canaanite chicks and or why didn't you chicks? ever consult yeah. the prophet? You know, yeah. when you, man. Crazy. That's not good. We know that Zadok wouldn't have been cool with it. Oh. If, you, if you went to Zadok and said, hey, I'm going to make a house for Molech. East of Nathan would have grilled him, bro. Yeah. Well, Gosh. And it makes me wonder. I, I don't know. And I, this is all of what I'm about to say is all speculative. But I wonder if perhaps like yeah, the intervention is laid back for a reason. Um Maybe what it's meant to point to us again is, well, of course, the Solomon's not the guy. That much we know. But another book would, in wisdom literature would say it like this, mortal man that is born of women is few of days and full of trouble. Like, we can't, we can't expect one that is only a man, hearkening back to one of the original things with Moses in this mosaic. We need a God king. We don't need it. A decent man king that gets given some wisdom. But we need God to be king. We need God to rule. Well, that, yeah, and it leaves us with what's going to happen now. Now ten tribes are in exile again. Right. Underneath a, a, a king that's not of the line of David. And under one from the tribe whom is blessed by Jacob, saying they will become the fullness of the nations. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah. But I have a feeling. It's not good. Maybe it won't be good. At least the process won't be good. And so we, we started this this episode with the apex of Israel. Like, everything's good. They have a, a righteous king and everything looks good. And then we end with total ruin. Tragedy. And he, it's like, and with a, with a prophecy that God gave to Solomon that's going to be fulfilled. Right. If you don't follow my ways, this house you built for me, I'll make it a heap of ruin. Well, yeah. pretty much the theme here is when Israel combines with other cultures, it's bad. Yeah. Look at, you know, Saul, I guess. Yeah. You know, when a when a king is, for lack of a better way of putting it, like sexually having abundance, you know, the world that around them would say, hey, this is a successful king, you know. Yeah. But um, that's not the case. And every time we see from here on out Israel – mashes with other nations it's all bad you get a contrast from solomon of wisdom and folly the height of one and the extreme low of the other and that's how he ends his life 
Yeah. The the last that we hear from Solomon is like this, this admission that like everything was vanity. Yeah. Everything it, was was folly. Well, and and even that part, you know, that brings up a good point to tie the bow on all this. You know, that particular passage, you know, you're referencing, a lot of people, you know, listening may think, well, hold on, didn't Solomon repent? Because in Ecclesiastes it says, you know, all is vanity, vanity of vanities. Serve the Lord with all your heart. This is the whole matter of the thing. Um, Solomon's authorship of that is heavily contested. Very, very, very heavily contested. So we don't really ever get any concrete evidence that he repents. But on the side of hope? On the side of hope. <laughs> scripture does say that he wrote, was it 3,000? Proverbs. Yeah. Proverbs and 1,005 Hopefully uh, he went songs. back from the low to the high and right. wrote them then. But right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is we don't, <laughs> we don't know when... We don't know which proverbs he wrote. Right. Yeah. We don't know which songs he wrote. Or when. Maybe he was like a ball. And he was like, he started off high, and then he hit the bottom. But when he hit the bottom, he bounced back up high. Who knows? That's what we'll hope. But we don't know about our boy Solomon. He, It seems to be, from the king's narrative, which is kind of scrutinizing, if you contrast it to Chronicles, um, yeah, it doesn't give us a whole lot of light at the end of that tunnel either, to be honest. He's and not the guy. Yeah, he's definitely not our snake crusher. That we know. And now our eyes are set on Rehoboam. Because Jeroboam certainly can't be the guy. He's not from Judah. No, I think that like the hope well, that we're you know, what we're talking about is not hope that like he's going to be redeemed to be the guy. The hope that I'm talking about is at least that at the end of his life, some of that wisdom from God was like, "Hey, surely you can recognize that this this is your fault and it didn't go well." Yeah, surely you could recognize that that you're. And I think that that's what what God told you know David about. This this son that he would have was like, hey, he's gonna mess up, and I'm gonna beat him with a rod. <laughs> like I'm gonna lay, lay stripes on him, but I won't. I won't take my spirit from him. You notice he doesn't say I won't tear the kingdom from him. Yeah, but yeah. he says that I won't. I won't take my spirit from him like I did Saul. And I know Proverbs thirty isn't Solomon. It's whoever Agur the son of Jekai is, but. Um, there's a portion in Proverbs 30 that says, which is wisdom literature, and, and Solomon contributes a lot to wisdom literature, a lot. Um, it says, for who has ascended to heaven and came down, who has gathered the wind in his fists and bound up the waters as with the garment, um, who has established all the ends of the earth, what is his name, and what is his son's name, if you can tell. There's a blending of identities between father and son and who this is that has made all things. And so we are we are still looking for a son of David that's not just David's son, right. but he's also God. Maybe Rehoboam's the guy. Maybe. We'll see. Time will tell. Rehoboam sounds a lot like Jeroboam. I'll, maybe in the next episode we'll bring up what those two names mean in contrast. Yeah, I think that there's probably something there. But I think for the purposes of this episode uh, – that's what's at the table. Show we is. Um, I do want to just make a note real quick to all of our listeners. Um, continue to to um, like and to share um, these episodes with your friends, with your family, and uh, just help us in growing this community. Um, you know, contact us, link up with us. Let's talk about things. Uh, give us ideas. Um, 
both for guests or, or, or topics to talk about that you want to hear from us and just be a part of continuing to watch this uh, community grow. And uh, we thank you guys, and God bless you. Godspeed. So for everything, that is the end. Catch you later. Thank you for joining us for another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope it blessed you and taught you something. And if you enjoyed, leave us a good rating and like us on Facebook. And from all three of us, until next time, thank you and God bless.